0: Kevin, if I would like to be anywhere, and I love doing the show, but where we are in Edmonton right now, and I understand it's the same out in BC, uh, Warren, if I was anywhere right now, I'd like to be lying naked face down on a sheet of curling ice. Oh, my God, is it hot? <laughs> it is so freaking hot here, Kevin. It's a 100.
1: It's unbelievable, Jimmy. We never have this, and it's, and it's not ending today. We've got another four or five days of this at at uh, yeah, hundred or even even more, hundred and five degrees. Like it's it's uh, it's wild stuff. Warren, we were talking last night. You know, sixty
0: percent of the people don't have air conditioning. Tell me, Warren, that you have air conditioning.
2: Oh, yes, for sure. We hit into the 40s here yesterday, so without air conditioning, it would be pretty brutal. But uh, air conditioning makes it livable. So, yes. And by the way, Jim, I'm trying to get that visual, you laying naked face down. and Trying to get it out of your brain. It's not pretty.
0: You'd rather it face down than face up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get going here before we all turn into lava. Time to do another show, fellas.
3: Last Rock. Eighth end up by two. I don't think I'm I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. It's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it Ben. Don't kill
2: it. Don't chill it. Line's really good. Line's right on the button, guys. Right Last here stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can
3: celebrate. He is a
0: champion. Okay, on the show today, boys, uh, this is our our uh, last show, actually, for a few weeks. Don't panic. We're just taking a few weeks off for the summer, like lots of people, and then we'll be back. We want to talk about a couple of emails that we haven't gotten to over the last little while. Uh, we thank everybody for those. The Tam Heather Curling Club, Warren, a real interesting thing, because we've talked about this many times on the show about funding, the exorbitant cost to run a curling club, and this club in Toronto has received about two and a half million bucks from the from the government, and everyone's going. Well, can we get a piece of that? Also, second on the agenda, the world mixed curling has been canceled, uh, and not because of COVID. And Kev, you've got a great guest that you've lined up. Tell us about Pete Stetsky.
1: Yeah, Pete Stetsky. Him and I go back a long, long way. He works for Raymond James his investment advisor. Very intelligent individual and uh, quite a character. He's the MC of the Grand Slam of curling events. So when uh, you hear the person on the ice, that's Pete Stetsky. And, and he was part of the, uh, the 18 teams, the Grand Slam group back in the early 2000s that uh, did what had to be done to improve the game. And he was actually uh, one of the vice presidents on our original Players Association board. And he's the one who's trying to get the Players Association back standing again. So terrific guest.
0: Uh, if you'd like to email us, do it at insidecurling at gmail.com. Check out Twitter at Curling Inside, Facebook at Inside Curling, and we're on Instagram at Inside Curling Podcast. So let's talk about the first thing, Warren. Uh, this club in Toronto, the Tam Heather Curling Club, is going to receive, it looks like here, $2.6 million of support from the federal, provincial governments and the city of Toronto. Uh, that sounds like a breakthrough thing, Warren.
2: Pretty interesting. Uh, We haven't talked to anyone at TAM, Heather, to determine exactly how they went about this, but as you're aware, we talked about this, I think, even just last week about the fact that uh, governments are not supporting curling clubs in the way that they're supporting other recreational facilities, and uh, maybe part of that reason is the fact that uh, the curling lobby hasn't been tough enough and hard enough at government, but here we have it, and uh, I'll just take a look at the release they sent out. It says the government of Canada is investing over $1 million in this project through the community culture and recreational infrastructure stream of Investing in Canada plan. The government of Ontario is providing $900,000, while the city of Toronto is contributing $700,000. So it's a replacement of a number of things in the uh, club that need upgrading and uh, bringing everything up to speed. So I think that's fabulous, and hopefully that's the beginning of many more things to come. And again, I think... It's going to be dependent very largely on the lobby that uh, the curling groups are able to pull together. And I think this has got to be one of the functions of a provincial association. They represent all the clubs in that province and uh, pitches to government, particularly provincial and civic, uh, should come as a unified front. And I think this might be a good start in Ontario, maybe right across Canada for people to say, hey, look what happened here. And uh, we need something similar to take place. How do we go about it?
0: Kev, you said a, a bunch of shows back that one of the problems is the utilities the exorbitant cost that they get no breaks during the off season and i think you guys
1: were lobbying one of the utility companies here kev at one time yeah with uh with bob popel uh he came on our show from the thistle curling club in edmonton actually and and of course that that's a big wheel that turns extremely <laughs> slow but hopefully yes to try to uh Get some relief on some of the costs because uh, it's getting through the roof. And, of course, now uh, after COVID, of course, inflation's not being very friendly. And, of course, all the costs are going up like crazy. So, you know, I think, uh, unfortunately, curlers are going to find uh, the amount of costs per game to go up, definitely, to try to cover, cover some of these costs. And you're right, the uh, the discussions with the uh, various companies, um the infrastructure companies, we, it has to happen. It's just, it's going to take some time, but it's very, very important and, and good for the Tam, Heather. Really terrific to hear that they're going to be able to do a lot of improvements and uh, and really bring that building into, uh, in a modern day. And hopefully uh, be able to have a Canadian Chaska, because we always bring up the Chaska Club in Minnesota.
0: Uh, Warren, you've always said that the great attraction uh, for curling is the low cost to curl, uh, that you you can join a league for a few hundred bucks a year. Do you see that having to change, Warren?
2: Well, it should have changed a long time ago, but is it going to change? I'm not so sure. It seems to be embedded in the curling culture, but curling has been underpriced, I think, forever. And I always joke the fact that people pay to curl for a season what they might spend in the summer on two green fees. That's always been a challenge, and I know it's one of the reasons that curling clubs have been very pressed for funds is because it's been always really underpriced so hopefully with time that begins to change and uh, things start to get into the right uh, segment
0: uh secondly here warren a surprise announcement out of the wcf the world curling federation this week that the world mixed curling championship scheduled uh for october in aberdeen scotland has been cancelled but not because of covid okay warren tell us why
2: It's kind of interesting. That's a relatively new event at the world level. It's only been in place since 2015. Of course, the Canadian Mixed Championship goes way back to 1964. But the World Curling Federation, in their release, says it was felt appropriate to cancel a championship to allow athletes and member associations to focus their efforts on the European Curling Championship C Division and the pre-Olympic qualification event in what are still expected to be challenging times for hosting events. So it's a rather interesting statement. I'm wondering if, uh, they may be considering going forward of this event maybe not continuing. I don't know, no indication of that. But the fact that mixed doubles is in, in place and mixed doubles is so popular and uh, growing around the world, I guess I ask myself the question, has this uh, mixed curling of two men, two women that started back in Canada in 1964 maybe become redundant? I know it's still being played in a lot of clubs in Canada. I don't know about the rest of the world. I know the U.S., it's uh, it exists, but I find... Outside of Canada, curling to a very large degree in leagues is becoming more what I refer to as mixed up curling. And the fact that there's no specific requirement for men or women, it can be three men, one woman, three women, one man, or four women, four men, whatever you choose to show up with. And I think as we move forward, even like mixed doubles, it doesn't have to be a man and a woman. It could be two men, it could be two women whatever works and i think certainly from a recreational point of view moving forward i think that's more what you're going to see happening uh as far as the the mixed championship is concerned in canada it's also very expensive to operate i'm not sure exactly what the figure is but i think with what canada pays for for the teams and the, to run the event it's got to cost at least a quarter of a million dollars to put this thing on every year it also was another set of playoffs that have to be run in every province every territory And i don't think very many people are probably entering it these days i think compared to what it was back in my day it's probably pretty small so maybe it has come become redundant i don't know i guess time will tell
1: so kevin what do you say about all this you know i heard it from uh, warren (laughs) actually Uh, warren gave me a call uh the morning that was announced and first thing i said right away and i'm not sure i'm right in saying it or not it's just funny how first things to come to your mind is I just said to Warren, he just said, you know, Kevin, did you you hear that the the mixed curling was canceled? And uh, I said, well, no, I hadn't heard. But do you think, Warren, that mixed four-person mixed curling, do you you think that's ever going to be put in as an Olympic sport? Because to me, if you're going to put a pile of money into something, you'd want it to to build your sport and like mixed doubles and hopefully maybe getting into doubles and i don't know if these the groups be a curling canada or World curling federation can fund everything like it's so much money to do all this stuff and a lot of leagues in canada yes they're still the friday night mixed you know all that kind of stuff but a lot of leagues around the world are bring whoever you want just kind of like golf if if you and i go golfing jimmy and Shauna may come and we may have four guys. We may have two ladies come. We might have one, it doesn't matter. You just play golf. And I kind of think that, that curling is probably going that way in most of the world. And so I, I don't know where four person mixed fits anymore in the game worldwide. Um, So it didn't surprise me. And that was my first question to Warren and Warren, uh, you can back me up on that one. Now it is the first thing when you told me that because it's an honest opinion that I had. And I'd love to hear from people on our Facebook group because Warren put it out. And uh, there are some strong opinions both ways that how can you change this? And, uh, well, we'd like to see the mixed doubles go and bring four-person mixed in. Well, four-person mixed hasn't went anywhere in all the years. Mixed doubles has and is really growing like crazy. So uh, I think it's pretty interesting to hear that. You know, one other thing, Jimmy, I just want to let everybody know that uh, Curling Canada has just announced the 2022 Continental Cup. Uh, going to Fredericton, um, that's an interesting location for, uh, for a Continental Cup. I'm just not sure about uh, getting crowd in there, but I sure love Fredericton. Did a couple of uh, curling schools there not too long ago and a wonderful place to visit. And I know the fans that go will certainly like it. I do have some bad news in curling, and that's the Westridge Curling Club in Stony Plain, Alberta, uh, burnt down this last week. So that is bad. It's a great club. I spent a ton of time in there. Terrific ice, and unfortunately, it was you know, an old wooden structure, and uh, of course, that's pretty dry, dry wood, and uh, and unfortunately, burnt down. So, wishing them all well in getting the new one built, and hopefully, uh, it doesn't take too long because, of course, Stony Plain's a pretty good-sized community, and uh, they're not too far from Spruce Grove. But you know, it it, it it really hurts the community. So, wishing everybody in Stony Plain the best.
0: Warren, you've always said that over the last years, the, the venues for the big events, the high-performance events, Scotty's uh are getting smaller and smaller, and this event is going to go to Fredericton. Does that surprise you, Warren, uh, about the event going there to the Maritimes?
2: Well, we're going into a smaller building, which uh, I certainly get that. I mean, the Continental Cup is probably at the point today where a 2,500, 3,000-seat building is going to be adequate. But uh, Continental Cup is an interesting event. We start, started back in 2001, and we were very careful with where we placed that uh, event for about uh, probably... I would guess probably about 15 years. It was never run outside of western Canada. It was put into smaller areas where we knew curling was strong and could support it. It was never taken into a bigger building. And I don't think it was taken uh, east of Manitoba until probably about 20... 16, I believe, it was taken into London, Ontario. Maybe it was 2018. Anyway, it's in that area somewhere. And so this will be only the second time, I believe, or maybe third time it's been taken east of Manitoba and the first time in Atlantic Canada. So it'll be rather interesting to see how Fredericton supports it. Fredericton has normally supported events held in that city uh, pretty well. But the Continental Cup, like most of the season champions, events are at the point where people don't travel much for those events anymore. And it's got to be pretty much supported by the local area. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that all works out.
0: And let's face it, curling is a grassroots sport, so uh, that sounds like it might be a perfect spot uh, to have it. Um, seeing as this is our last show of the season, uh, we thought we'd touch base on what has probably been the two hottest topics over the weeks. So we get a lot of response about this, and that is the future structure of the Scotties and the Briar and what's going to happen with the uh, game. Will it be eight ends uh, or ten? What about the amount of teams? What should the format be? Different pools, all that stuff. Uh, Kevin, why don't you kick it off for us?
1: Well, with the length of game, I think uh, Sylvana Teranzoni said it really, really well. A few weeks ago, we had Sylvana on the show, and she's a huge baseball fan. And I asked her if she's still watching a lot of ball. And her answer was, she still loves ball, but I don't have time to watch three and a half hour MLB games. Interesting comment. Really interesting from a person who loves baseball. And you know what? That's that's the way a lot of people look at curling now with the 10-in game. It's three hours, three hours and 15 with an extra end, you can get up to three and a half hours. It's just it's just simply too long. It is too long for modern day. Young people are not going to pay attention to it. We have to go to eight ends. And that's just strictly for the health of our, our game as cable numbers, of course, continue to, to drop because less and less people watch cable TV. That's just, just the way it is. And more things are gonna be streamed. You need uh, a highlight package. Um, that's how a lot of the young people watch their particular sport that they love is they watch the highlight packages from all over the world and in, in whatever sport it is. And that's what we need in our sport is quick, concise games, promote the players big time so that uh, young people want to watch the highlights of their favorite teams.
0: Uh, We're all the guests we've had on High Performance Guys, uh, you know, from Kennedy to Gushu and many, many others, uh, almost all those guys say, okay, we, we maybe got to drop the game to 10 ends. But not all of them, Warren, uh, are convinced that we should drop the provincial boundaries. They're kind of ambivalent about it. And uh, what do you think is going to happen, Warren, uh, going forward with the Breyer and the Scotties next year?
2: Uh, man, we've tossed this one around this year, and the opinions on it seem they're they're divided. And I think it's to some degree by age, the older Viewers, listeners don't want anything changed. The younger ones see the need to make the adjustments. So, last year with the COVID situation, Curling Canada increased the length, the number of teams in both the events to 18. Which uh, I felt worked out not too bad. It was moderately successful from that, from that point of view because you brought three more top teams or two more top teams into the event. From my point of view, I think maybe the compromise going forward would be to increase the, the number of teams to 20. And that would be bringing the top six teams off the Canadian team ranking system and eliminate Team Canada, run two 10 team round robins uh, with uh, probably a page playoff because now those round robins would be very competitive. Out of 10 teams in each one, you're going to have six that are going to be very competitive fighting for two spots. So the round-robin aspect could be pretty entertaining. Um, that's what I would I would do at this point in time if I was them. Uh, what are they going to do? I know they're talking about it. I know in some cases there's discussion they're going to go back to 16 teams. There's others that feel they want to take, leave it at 18, but I'm not sure if anybody's talking about 20. So to me, that would be the compromise at this point in time would be go to the 20 teams. I think the other thing they should really consider doing is to eliminate the residency rule. From a Curling Canada point of view, simply say... We don't have a residency rule. However, if your province or territory feels you require a residence, residency rule, then you can incorporate one as you see fit. And I think that, again, would begin to resolve a lot of issues, uh, particularly in provinces that now I do know some of them don't really like this whole residency thing to start with, and it would give the option. And then from a player point of view, you could clearly decide where you want to be. Do you want to be in a province that doesn't have any residency or you want to stick with the province where you're going to be restricted?
0: Uh, The World Men's and Women's Championship went to 14 teams this season from 13. Will the WCF stay with 14, or do you think things will go back to 13? Also, the World Mixed Doubles was restricted to 20 nations for the first time, and an indication given that possibly an A and B pool system will be set up going forward, where a couple of nations a year will go up and two go down like a relegation thing. Uh, How's this all going to unfold?
2: I'm not sure if anything's going to change quickly, but I, I do believe that the world will go from 14 back to 13. But I think with what's happened with mixed doubles, that I do believe they are they are looking seriously at going at a at a pool system. Uh, when that might happen, uh, hard to say. But I think there's many people on the World Curling Federation side of things that understand that moving forward, this is where the events have to have to be shaped. And uh, particularly, we saw mixed doubles used to be allowed. They had 40-plus teams were entering the the competition. They restricted this year to 20, and now the indications are that they're going to probably have a second division of 20. I believe ultimately those divisions should probably be 10 in each division, but uh, at least uh, from my point of view, they're heading in the right direction.
0: Uh, Let's get to one of our favorite parts of the show. It's time to read out a couple of emails. I always pick emails that open up with this, Warren, Kevin. Love the show. Okay, give that guy some time. <laughs> this is from John Longil. He says, I have to agree with Brad Gushu on this one. Mixed doubles is great the way it is. If having the male and female player deliver the same number of rocks is even a real talking point, why not do like most of the teams in our club's Friday night, uh, mixed doubles league, and swap the throwing order each end. Everyone throws and sweeps the same number of stones by the end of the game. We also find that the participation isn't so lopsided in our club where the man does all the sweeping and the woman just holds the broom for him because almost everyone throws at an imaginary broom and the other player sweeps while the thrower calls the line. I think it works great this way. Both players participate in the whole game equally. We've had a mixed doubles league in our club for four seasons. It's growing slowly, but the curlers who do play it love it and the shorter game times give extra time for socializing very important fellas okay afterward which our club has made sure to emphasize there now that i'm joining that club okay we're emphasizing the social side uh this is important for this league especially being on friday evening looking forward to more great discussions fellas thanks a lot and that's from john he's at the barrington regional curling club in nova scotia what do you say warren
2: well i think interesting uh as you may recall, Brad Gushi was suggesting that maybe the mixed doubles game needs to go to uh, six rocks from five. Um, and John is agreeing that it should stay at five. I think the aspect of the the men and the women having to shift positions uh, throughout the game is one I think has to be looked at going forward. As, as we know, you can they switch from the first player throwing 1 and 5 and the other player throwing 2 3 and 4 every end if you desire and i think to put a little more excitement into that uh, mixed doubles game that needs to happen at least twice in a game i believe right now it seems to be kind of things have cemented in that the the female throws 1 and 5 and the men throws 2 3 and 4 and uh I think being the person that was involved in designing this game, it was never the intent that uh, they would go into the positions, as indicated, and stay there for the whole game. So I think that's the one little thing that might be considered. Other than that, uh, his idea of their switching every end, I suppose in a particular league, if you feel that works, go for it. But I think at the competitive level, that might be a little too, uh, too much. Kevin, what's your
1: reaction to that? Yeah, you know, I love mixed doubles as everybody knows. And, uh, Brad actually, he, he definitely, him and Carrie, they, they put a little wrinkle into the game. You know, you said that, uh, usually the guys will sweep, but actually Brad didn't do much sweeping. It was Carrie that did, did the lion's share of the sweeping in their particular case. So, uh, that was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, I, I I really like the five rock rocks, not, not six. Um, the game is growing like crazy. I, I don't see any possible. Reason to change it for now, um, but I do, I do think that uh, doubles, not just mixed doubles, but doubles would be a fantastic game as well. So hopefully the game goes that way a little bit at the club level, um, where it's not it doesn't have to be mixed doubles; it can just be doubles. It doesn't matter who's with who or anything. Um, I think that's a big deal, uh, but I don't see any problem with it. And to Warren's point, if you're going to, you know, maybe make teams switch it up a couple of times in the game, becomes a strategic choice, not a forced choices to win uh, that's not a bad idea but uh, but like i say i want to be a little careful with changing much right now because you know mixed doubles is on a real roll worldwide and uh you know it'll be interesting to see how uh, how everybody responds uh in beijing at the olympic games coming up in just a few months uh to see if this this flow that happened uh in pyeongchang last olympics continues on and uh it'll be really exciting uh don uh satram
0: writes us he says uh, hello boys i've listened to every show." And I have to tell you how much I love and enjoyed all of them. However, I think the program with Wayne Madaw was the best. Maybe have him back on sometime. Okay, we'll do that. One thing Wayne said that, that really caught my attention was his comment about carving and how he thought brooms were too effective. As he said, carving can make a 75% shooter a 90% curler. i said many times that the game has gotten too easy for top curlers. Perfect ice that varies very little uh from event to event fast houses lively rocks that allow hack weight triple takeouts and of course the sweeping i think it would be really interesting to hear more discussion about sweeping the pros and cons of carving and what should be done about it uh thanks for all your podcasts you're welcome don kevin you go first
1: well yeah um I don't think the houses are any quicker than anywhere else on the sheet, actually. I don't think the rocks are any bouncier than uh, before. That's more just uh, television stuff, I think. But um, as far as the game goes with, well, with Wayne Madaw talking about a 75% curler becoming a 90% curler, I kind of think he's unfortunately right Um the strong sweepers can really uh, affect the line of a stone. Um, you know, you stand behind an EJ Harndon or a, uh, or a Brad Deason or, or Brett Gallant, uh, Joanne Courtney, like the very best sweepers in our sport. They can adjust the line dramatically. And so if the communication is good between, uh, from skip to thrower to sweepers, uh, boy, oh boy, you can make a lot of shots not thrown very well. But you can make the shot. And I think that's something that the, the sport needs to look at seriously. I think Wayne's bang on, um, that it might be uh, better than it was with the, with the brooms that could really carve, uh, you know, it's certainly better now with the fabric, but they want to keep looking at it. And I think actually, I think all the uh, parties are actually looking at this because they can see how much the, uh, the top sweepers can affect the line and the weight of the rock. So uh, it's not being ignored. I don't think. Uh, but it's certainly something that you know Wayne Madaw hadn't curled for a while, and uh, he just saw it clearly. Whoa, <laughs> we never used to be able to do that with a broom and uh, and 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 he realizes you know that it's games becoming a little easier for the thrower instead of more difficult. Hanson, do you see a problem with it? I like the idea of guys going from seventy five percent
0: to ninety percent. What's wrong with that, Warren?
2: Well, I think first of all, this whole issue of curving, I'm very curious about it. Like Kevin, I watch, I see, but I think there isn't much scientific at this point in time about any of this, and I think there's really need for a detailed study of a scientific nature to determine exactly what's taking place and how effective it can be and what do you have to do to really be effective. Really what we're dealing with at the moment are opinions, what people think is happening, and it makes sense to some degree as to what most of the philosophies and theories are, but I think this is one thing that's lacked in curling over time is probably not enough scientific research being done on many things. The whole mystery of curling rocks, uh, and, and who even designed those rocks originally to be the way they are, to do the things that they do, is, is virtually quite amazing. But again, to a very large degree, we, we have been guessing about it over time because there's never been any real scientific work done with it. So, I think a good project for the World Curling Federation. They originated the study that was done a few years ago on the brush pads as to what was the most effective and what should be allowed and what shouldn't. And I think it would be a good investment to be able to do a scientific study on this whole aspect of scratching and carving and exactly what is taking place and how can you be more effective and how can you be... Uh, and you know, what happens if you're less effective? Because it's uh, becoming a big part of the sport, and I guess we have to decide as well, do we want this to be able to be part of the sport? I think that's another question that still really hasn't been answered. Do you think, Kevin?
1: Well, yeah, it is. It's is. It's a matter of deciding if uh, if you want that golf ball to go 430 yards, if you want it to go 310 or 260, it's important in curling as well to decide, you know, what does our future look like in our sport? What do we want it to look like? You know, Do we want it to be a thrower's game? Do you want to be... A little bit of a sweeper's game. You don't want sweeping to maybe take a little bit more control over the game. It's really completely up to the sport. You make the brooms a little more abrasive, it becomes less of a thrower's game, more of a sweeper's game. Where do we want to land? That's really up to the sport to decide, but it is something that needs to be talked about. Before we bring our guest on, Warren, uh,
0: to set this up, I remember where I was when uh, Team Canada won the 72 Summit Series. Do you remember Warren, where where you were when Kevin decided to get 18 skips to pull out of to pull out of curling back in the day?
2: <laughs> uh, yes, I do. I can tell you exactly where I was. I was in Regina. <laughs> I was there doing a television survey with TSN, and the Memorial Cup happened to be on at the same time. That's when I heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's a really good one, Jimmy, to
1: bring that up because you we know, we talk about getting everybody to the table and how a lot of people don't get along and stuff. Well, Warren and I didn't get along very good in those days. And look, all these years later, here we are on a podcast together. <laughs> you know what you you cause Warren, you've talked about miking up the
0: players, how important it is. Uh, you know, that we, we, we get this done to bring people inside. I, I so wish we would have had you mic'd up when Kevin when you got the news about Kevin. Uh Anyway, that leads us into our guest. I can hear him coming down the hallway. Uh, Is it time for the players to put their foot down and make some demands? And we're talking about a player's association. Pete Stetsky is the guy who's behind a lot of this. You know, in our early interviews, when we were started Inside Curling uh, with a lot of the people we had on, they were talking, all of them, about uh, they've got to get a Players Association back up and going. And, of course, you heard at the top of the show, that's going to be our guy Pete Stetsky. And we better get to him before he melts. Uh, How are you, Pete?
3: Uh, I'm a little hot. It's pretty warm today in Toronto, but I'm hiding hiding inside in some AC, so I'm going to live. You played in a golf tournament. Did you tell me it was almost seven hours to play golf. Yeah, we played in eight sums, and because it rained the day before, there were no carts, so we were out there for nearly seven hours, and our play showed it. It was a tough day.
0: You just got to quit, Pete. You just got to walk off. That's what you do. That's, that's, what I, that's what I do when it gets too long.
3: You know, when you get older, you're supposed to get smarter, but there's no evidence of that with me so far. <laughs> that didn't happen.
0: Well, fill, fill us in, Pete. Uh, you, you were one of the breakaway guys with uh, Kevin and uh, the Players Association is something that everyone's always talked about. You're the guy who's going to uh, be very involved in that. Tell, tell us where you're at with it right now.
3: I mean, it's still very preliminary. I think when we did it back in '01, it was easier. Back then, it was, we didn't have many international teams. I think all 18 teams that signed up for the slams were all Canadian. And the women weren't a part of it. Where now, obviously, the women are a huge part of the game. And international, the, the way the game has grown. So it's a little bit more complicated in terms of trying to organize it. And there's so many different needs now. Before, it was sort of just a battle with Curling Canada. Where now, because it's international, you know, there's the Curling Tour involved, uh, WCF, the SLAMs. So yeah, there's a lot of different moving parts. So it's going to take some time to get organized for sure.
0: Why are you doing it, uh, Pete? And what what's the main thing that the players want to get out of this?
3: I mean, there's a lot of things. Um, something you know, everyone goes back to in Canada the uniform issue at the Briar and the Scotties, where the players have zero control over their uniform. So they've had their sponsors all year and then you show up to the Briar or the Scotties and you're not allowed to wear any of your corporate support. That was always sort of a, an issue and it continues to be. But I would say now um, we need to get control of certain things or at least be involved in certain decisions uh, the players do. So the rankings is a huge issue because that gets you into certain events all over the world. Um so we need to make sure that the rankings, they're proper, they're accurate, they're up to date. The players are looking at uh, going a different direction in terms of the tour, something that they would have more control over and it would be far more transparent. Um, scheduling, like you look, it's bizarre. We're talking about the heats. Like when I curled, you'd usually start sometime around the middle of October. Now events start as early as August when it's still, you know. 90 degrees outside. But then when it's actually cold and freezing in Canada and you should be indoors curling, there's nothing to play in because it takes about four weeks to run the schedule of the provincial and territorial playdowns where we need to get control of the schedule better. If we could run one weekend where the men's and women's all play off to go to the nationals, then that frees up three more weeks to have other events for the curlers to play in at all levels because when you think about it if you're not going to the briar or the scotties your season now could be over by february 1st so if we could free up the schedule we could maybe extend the tour season into the new year which is something that doesn't really happen very much anymore other than the slams well i'd like
1: to get into these a little bit deeper pete if we could um so right now um if there's a change to be made with how teams accumulate points depending on what event they're in Who's the decider? Like, I don't know of any player that's sort of involved in that.
3: Are there some? To the best of my knowledge, uh, Jerry Gertz is still, uh, he's got a ranking system going. But then there's uh, the gentleman from Switzerland who runs the, quote unquote, runs the World Curling Tour, Armin. He's got his own. I'm not too confident in his because last year, the highest ranked Canadian team in the men's at one point was Gushu at sixth just behind the Italian team and the team from the Netherlands. So I'm not sure those are overly accurate.
1: Well, we, we, you got to be careful here, Pete. You're saying that if Gushu were put in a, was it a, a, a Netherlands team and, a, and an Italian team? If you put him in a best of three, you think Gushu might win?
3: I think he'd score for sure. I mean. <laughs>
1: so you mentioned the uh, players, the, the Curling Canada and the World Curling Federation have a, a, us uh, called Players Council. Yeah. I'd like to get into that a bit because like, I just don't know what that means. Um, I don't think any players ever have a chance to actually be elected into that players council. It sounds to me more like uh, uh, the Fox in the hen house. You, uh, you know, you bring in somebody that's a yes person and they call it a players person.
3: Yeah. I don't know enough about that, but I know there's been not nearly enough traction on any of the issues that we're talking about. Even the another one that really stands out, I mean, we're pretty focused on Canada right now where the, the Players Association would involve teams from all over the world. But a Canadian issue again would be, I don't know, I don't want to single anybody out, but should we be running a Canadian Women's Championship, and this happened two years ago, where the number one ranked team in the country is not in the event... But at least five of the teams in the event are not in the top 200 in the world. Like if you play out of Manitoba, you can't even make it to that national championship, even though you're one of the top 15 teams in the country. But if you just sign up out of Nunavut, you could have never thrown a curling rock in your life before and play in a national championship. And I don't think we should be rewarding spots in our national championship based on where you were born. I
2: don't think that could be the criteria. I don't know where to start, but yes, Pete, that's one of my uh, pet peeves has been for a lot of years that while that system worked very well for many, many years and served the sport well, things have changed and it no longer really is doing that and and how that's dealt with and modified, um, there's probably many, many ways of looking at it, but I think You've got some huge challenges, and I think the first one is going to be to get these people in one room, that is the men the women, and particularly emphasize that a lot of these younger players, and a lot of the younger ones we've talked to, the ones between 20 and 25, uh, they're going to be the future, and they're very enthusiastic about all this. And I think that was maybe the mistake that we made back when I tried this in the 70s and then Kevin, that we didn't go deep enough into the the pool of players. We primarily just dealt with the top guys. And I think the top guys are getting near the end of their careers and they're maybe not quite as enthusiastic about some of these changes as the younger ones might be. So I think that's one thing you've got to do. But I, I think uh, you've got the World Curling Federation, Curling Canada and the SLAM are certainly three parties that are very much in the picture that I think with the, they really need to get everything the same page. Um, and I, I guess from your point of view, it starts with Curling Canada. Maybe that's where the first discussions start. But there's so many things. I mean, I think as we've talked about, uh, you've mentioned, I think uniforms, big issue. Some of these players have eight uniforms in the course of the year. It needs to be standardized. The whole cresting issue needs to be the same for the Curling Canada, for the World Curling Federation and the SLAM. It needs to be some resolve on how all that can be made work. Rules, rules enforcement. And as we've already been talking, data, a huge uh, issue the issue of Tier 1 and Tier 2, uh, that there needs to be probably definite divisions set up uh, as far as how that whole thing falls in place. And uh, it's massive. And I think the, the biggest stumbling block right now that you're facing is this sport of curling has been looked at forever as curling. And everybody's kind of lumped into the same pool here. And we have evolved to the point that there's a very distinct difference between the players at the top end of the game and the players playing maybe in the middle and those playing recreationally. And there has to be an appreciation, I think, by all the people involved that uh, it has to be addressed differently. And I think my advice would be: I think you've got to first of all, you got to get these players together and in agreement to moving something forward. And then, uh, and maybe your first starts is with Curling Canada, trying to begin to get uh, their ear in some of this stuff. And then you got to bring in a WCF, and then, uh, and then probably Sportsnet, but. What is your game plan as far as how you're going to attack all this? Do you have anything sort of as a step 1, step 2, step 3 idea or are you still just trying to figure that out?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's time to to lay out our whole plan for everybody until we get definitely more organized, but back to a point you made right at the start of when you were talking, it's it's ironically been very easy to get veterans on board. So I'll throw out names like Brent Lang, Glenn Howard, Cooey's team, Gushu, Jennifer Jones. They're near, they're closer to the end of their career than they are the start. And they are willing to sacrifice and be involved and, and try to create something that they won't necessarily benefit from directly because they might not be around to reap those rewards um we've had a great group of young people like tanner horgan contacts me all the time he's been outstanding tyler uh tardy jocelyn peterman and matt dunstone's taken a real leadership role as well and you look at matt like he's accomplished a lot for a guy at his age so he's he's been on the slam side he's been in the curling canada events so he knows what they're all about and he knows how you get treated at different events and whatnot so He's got the ear of the younger players because he's already been through it. Uh, he's experienced it and he, he can share those experiences and thoughts. So we're looking at creating different levels, right? Like you would need a Canadian board, probably with two tiers. Like we'd call it say next gen and a, and a main board. We need European representation, uh, the U S Asia. So there's a lot of work to do a lot of organization and a lot of different levels, um, to tackle. Have
0: you had discussions with curling Canada up to this point? Um, you know, sometimes when organizations here union or players association, they just clam up and go, Oh no, we, we don't want to do this. Um, tell me about where you're at with curling Canada. Do they expect something to come down the pipe for you guys or, or how is it being handled so far?
3: We've had open lines of communication with them. I've spoke with Katherine Henderson a few times and uh, Nolan. I mean, I'm buddies with Nolan, so we talk about other stuff as well, but we've definitely talked about this. But um, for now, like it's, it's not even an us versus. That's what, one thing I'd like to change. I think the first go around, it was very clear that it was the players versus Curling Canada. We needed to rock the boat, and it was successful. You look at what happened. From the 2001 we now have six men slams six ladies slams the continental cup the canada cup uh tons of prize money at the briar and the scotties all of that in my opinion was the result of what happened in 2001. this is not that like i think it's time for us to instead of being us versus them there shouldn't be an us and them we're in the same sport we should have the same goals try to create not fight over the piece of pie that exists, but create a bigger pie and find ways to do that, open up new revenue streams, new ways to grow the sport internationally. Uh, we've talked about streaming. It could be a big thing. Um, the uniforms are big. We never had enough sponsorship when I played to pay for the amount of uniforms I'd need today. We would, <laughs> we would have had to get uh, two more sponsors just to pay for all, all of our clothes. So I would say a goal is not to fight with the WCF or Curling Canada or the slams, but to try to partner with them, try to get on the same page and make a plan of how we can all benefit moving forward. Because if it turns into a fight, I don't know that you're going to accomplish very much. We, I think we could accomplish a lot more trying to work together than against one another.
2: I think uh, the challenge you're going to have as well, and I think that's one of the big problems right now, the three main parties being WCF, Curling Canada, and the Slam, and to some degree the USCA. Depending upon which event you're playing in, everything is completely different. And I think those parties all have to be in the room, probably both television networks, because TSN is sponsoring an event as well as Skins Game. And there has to be some agreement uh, on how everything is going to happen. Is not going to change every week. Key factor, I think, Pete, that you've got to get those parties in the room together and begin to get some agreement on how everything is going to be done. But I'm not sure where you start, whether, again, maybe it's with Curling Canada, it's the chicken or the egg. But uh, those are going to be some of the challenges for sure that you're facing.
3: Well, yeah, you brought up a good point there, too, about the TV networks. You watch golf. And when golf is on, they're wrapping up the tournament for the week, and it'll be on CBS, and they'll say, you know, join our friends at NBC next week to watch, you know, whatever events on. Where with curling, I don't know. There's this war between the two networks, which I, I really don't understand. But, like, when you turn on a TSN event, and I I love Vic Rauter. What he has done for curling is amazing. Um, he's He's been the voice of curling for a very long time. But when he talks about the slams, you'd think he's playing charades with the audience. Like he'd be like, you know, the local tour event played in Saskatchewan last week. Like, no, it's called a grand slam. Like, just say it, call it what it is. Like, it's almost like he's gonna get arrested if he uses those words. Um, and I think it's not disrespectful to sports, Ned. It's actually disrespectful to the accomplishments of the players. Like if NBC is doing the British Open and Tiger Woods won the Masters in April, they don't say, and the winner of the recent PGA event that was played in Georgia, where if you win, you get a green jacket, they would say he's the Masters champion. We need to work together. Um, I would love to see these networks get in a room because... Again, if we can make a bigger piece of pie for everybody to share, that makes sense to me. Just trying to fight over the crumbs that exist right now doesn't. So I don't know where that started. I do believe like there is maybe they don't like each other too much. I'm not sure. I'm not part of that's way above my pay grade, but it'd be nice to see the networks work together and all the associations work together and the players have to be a part of that. All these decisions get made for the players, but the players have no input. Jennifer Jones found out this year over Twitter that she qualified for the Olympic trials. That's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, and I think the friction within the networks goes back to the 2001 situation. And you're right, it should have been over long ago and I believe even when I was still within the curling Canada ranks as far back as 2009, 2010, I was suggesting then uh, we need to start to have TSN and Sportsnet in the same room because There was a battle here. It's over. We now know where things are going to go and we all need to get on the same page. But I think that that hasn't happened and uh, it still exists. So that's the first thing I think that probably needs to be wiped out. Yeah, it'd be great because both networks do a great job. I mean, they produce it a little
3: differently, but both TV shows are great. Obviously, the numbers are good, but it'd be nice to see them work together instead of against each other.
0: Uh, give me a sense. I, I know you said you've had communications with them. It, so, it sounds like it's pre- preliminary, like you said. If you talk about cresting, for example, and sponsorship, and, and that seems to be a sticking point, right, that, that you're sort of forced to wear certain crests and, and, and forced not to be allowed to wear other ones. What happens if that comes to a head, Pete? And, and you guys go in and say, look, this has got to change. Is there going to be an or else with that? I mean, it's way too
3: early to know um again like i've had some talks but i I mean i respect catherine when we spoke she doesn't want me to talk about what we've talked about so i won't um but yeah that will be a, a major point of negotiation i think in terms of the canadian teams i think that would be a very big issue at the wcf i think the They're a little more relaxed, but not totally relaxed on the cresting. And again, like to the point you guys have brought up already, like I don't even know. I'm involved in the sport. I follow it pretty closely. And like week to week, I wouldn't even know what uniform to show up with. And where it makes it very tough is it's hard enough to get money in this game. But now I go and meet with Starbucks is going to sponsor me and they're jacked and they're going to be on my like uh, right chest is going to be their spot but then i have to tell them but for this event you're on my ankle for this one we might get you on our broom bag the other one i got to put a fake tattoo on my arm with a coffee cup to show you our sponsor like it, it just needs to be one uniform and the amount of money that could flow in corporately to the sport for the players would be huge, but it's got to be tough. Like there's guys out there and women out there that are amazing at selling the sponsorship. Ben Hebert's probably as good as anybody. I would love to see what his package looks like because it's got to be six different chapters of a book, depending on which event he's trying to sell.
1: Pete, that is an incredibly difficult thing trying to, in the boardroom, explain to the person at the other side of the table who really honestly loves curling and wants to sponsor the team that's sitting across from them. But they need to take it to their board to say, X amount of dollars is a good idea because of this. It is such a difficult thing when you go through the schedule and you start, okay, here's where we're curling. Oh, well, there's no TV in that one, but there's some streaming. Uh, that one's televised on this channel, but I can only wear <laughs> <laughs> your, your logo on the your left arm. And then you go through the entire year. Well, if you can keep the person sitting there, it's amazing because in a lot of cases, the title sponsor wants you to wear their colors. Depending on whatever company it is, they want the uniform to be that color and the broom. But of course, depending on the event, in the Canada Cup, for example, you, you're given. And it's even worse sometimes when the main competitor of your sponsor's color that's the jacket you're given. So now some company that the, the major competitor, there's two worldwide battle and your color, say it's a bright orange. Well, the other color's green. And here you are for the Canada Cup here, wear the green one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the CEO, of course, of your company is going, what the hell? I, 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 this is, I, you can't wear that well but I have to I otherwise I won't get to, yeah so there's all kinds of things when you meet in the boardroom level it's so difficult to lock up a sponsor with the with the crazy rules we have and to Warren's point I don't know Pete if you can help with this but I sure I'll help and that if I can and that's trying to get the main people together sometime late this summer into a boardroom somewhere if the travel restrictions open and USCA can come up to Canada, if we can get uh, you know people somewhere in Toronto to, uh, to have a meeting. I know Warren and I will do all we can to make this happen because I think it's become clear that that's our first main objective would have to be to get all the people in the room that we need to with television stations and the governing bodies and the players, we just need to get this to happen
2: yeah there's just a lot of challenges this whole uh cresting issue and and it's complicated but the pga tour found a way and the pga tour didn't start to move until all the players got in the same room either it was it was fledgling like uh to some degree all this curling stuff is but i mean the curling canada issue with the cresting is very historic and it's the fact that some things could have happened along the way with time to to begin to adjust that but it didn't happen and it goes back to mcdonald tobacco where they owned everything inside the boards, and then it was transferred onto Labatt's. And back in those days, it was just, uh, it was great that the sponsor paid for everything, but man, they, they owned it. And then along came the Season of Champions, and to get that thing up and running, uh, it took a lot of difficulties, and one of the things that was done was exclusivity was given to the sponsors. To that Again, they they owned everything. And there was an opportunity around 2003, 2004, to have been to adjust that. But everything was rolling fine as far as uh, people were concerned and nobody wanted to take it on. And then things started to go in a little different direction. And now um, we've reached a point where it's going to be a challenge for them to to meet those uh, changes, but the changes are going to have to come. And uh, I think it's going to take some uh, discussion and some understanding, but – and this whole cresting thing, uh, we've got to get at least close to having World Curling Federation, SLAM, Curling Canada, and the USCA because they're in the in the mix as well on the same page.
3: Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, where it's tough is there's events where, you know, like Team Jones, Team Carruthers, or Team McEwen have showed up to an event. Not only do they not get to wear their own sponsor, but they have to wear the direct competitor of their sponsor. Like... That's insane. Tiger Woods, if he's sponsored by Mercedes, is not showing up to the BMW Classic and putting BMW on his golf bag. That is not happening. And it can't happen. Um, They already get commercials. They get, uh, you know, on the ice. They get on the boards, whatever they want. The players' uniforms, there has to be some limits, I think. And I don't know what the solution is, but it definitely needs to be tackled sooner than later because as everyone knows, it's just easy to kick the can down the street because it's happened since I've been, it's happened far before me. Like obviously it happened with you when you were curling in the seventies, Warren, but um, you know, we were told around 01, 02, there would be, it would be slow, but there would be changes. And to the best of my knowledge, there's basically been none. You control as much of your uniform at the Briar and Scotties now, as you did twenty years ago, which is none of it.
1: Back when uh, we were doing that, we three things were, were sort of after: uh, a revenue sharing at the national championships, because you know we remember that, uh, for example. Calgary, eighteen thousand people in the building, all paying for tickets, and and of course the entertainment didn't get paid. So, you know, it was good to get the revenue sharing model done, and that happened, and and that's been fantastic. Uh, the change to the calendar did happen to a to a large degree, but to your point, it needs to be tighter yet with the provincials, and then of course logos and all the events. Well, uh, you know, the Canada Cup and Continental Cup were invented. Uh, with some low going. So that that was good, I guess. And then the Worlds, uh, they opened up the cresting opportunities. Um, Provincials have cresting opportunities. So from that point of view, it is better than it was prior to 2001. I guess there's just a matter of, of getting everybody in the room and understanding that sports evolve and you can't, have it the same after 20 years, you need to have changes again because the world changes. And unfortunately, you know, curling, it tends to take a little longer than the average amount of time for things to change in the world for curling to change.
2: I think one of the other challenges you have, you're going to need some money. And I know back in the seventies when we tried this, that was a challenge and I'm sure it was with Kevin. Uh, I've given that some thought and and you guys might want to consider. My thought is that maybe you uh, say starting in 2022, uh, you just take 10% off of uh, all your, all your purses and put that into the, the players, uh, association to begin to get some monetary, uh, position established. And I think that could be done fairly easily by just simply saying everything you win, 10% of it goes to the players association. Or maybe it's 5%. But I know from my original attempt at this back in the 70s, collecting dues from players is to set an amount and then to collect it, which we did have a due structure, but it was very difficult and it became complicated. So what are your thoughts on all that? So we're looking at forming a tour um, that the players would
3: control, and because they would control it, uh, they would control the scheduling to a certain degree, but more importantly, they would control where the money goes. So it used to be, you know, you played an event, You paid your $1,000 entry fee, but it was actually $1,100 and that extra 100, so 10%, would go into a players association pot. And we need to get back to that kind of structure, but it needs to be fully transparent because whatever we want, like everyone thinks there's a world curling tour and there's not. There's something that's called the World Curling Tour, but it's literally just a collection of events all over the world. There's no structure involved. Uh, there's no transparency as to where the money goes, how much went here, how much went there. And nobody is accusing anybody of anything, but you need to be able to, if we had a meeting and I paid for two coffees, I need to show where that six bucks went. Like it's a business. Like it needs to be, treated like one. So um, I would say we want to have the tour in place to start the next quadrennial because let's be honest, to start this year coming up, we don't even know what the world's going to look like in August, September when these events would start, right? So why not start when there's a brand new quadrennial, but that would be, Warren, how we would look at generating Money. The other thing we really want to do because we always talk about the elite level curlers and you have to look after them because they are the lifeblood of the sport. Everyone thinks it's grassroots. It's not. In my opinion, it's top down. Like basketball doesn't exist because there's some really good high school basketball going on. It's because of Michael Jordan or nowadays it's because of Steph Curry. And this is something else, a little side thing we should talk about is the need to promote the athletes as opposed to promote the events. Kevin and I talked about this the other night, but with the tour, we want to look after that next level, like the number 15 to number 40 in the ranked teams. We need to have better events for them, uh, easier access, not easier is the wrong word, but more accessible uh, opportunities to play and qualify for the slams So you look at an event like Cornwall, which is an amazing event that uh, McCready's run for years and years and years, but I think the last time it ran, they had 15 of the top 16 teams in the men's in the world there. So that's basically a grand slam field. So if I'm like number 25 in the world, why am I showing up to that thing to play my three games, get killed and drive home? We need to spread the schedule out a bit like it used to be. You could have an event on and say Edmonton at the same time as Cornwall. Now your Dunstones, your Cooys, your Botchers, your McEwans. all of them are going to go west. You have all the Ontario teams. You've got Jacobs, some European teams, Gushu. They play in the one in the east. And what that does now, instead of there only being eight money spots up for grabs that week, there's actually 16 money spots up. There's 16 point opportunities And it helps that next level of teams get closer to qualifying, earning more money, earning more points, having streaming opportunities. And it could really, really help that next level of teams uh, try to try to get into the slams. Kevin
0: said it'd be very tough to get your opinions on things.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like to say what's on my mind at all. (laughs) I just do hope that we can work together. That, that would be the main thing. It, it does not have to be a fight. It doesn't have to be an us versus them. It would be great to get everybody involved in the sport trying to work together and improve it.
0: I know they listen to the show, the people at Curling Canada. I don't know if they're big fans, but they but they listen to it. Uh, and, and maybe this will help along the way. Thanks a million, Pete, for doing this and good luck. We'll be watching and I, I'm sure we'll get you on again with uh, a progress report. We, we'd love to stay on top of this
3: great thanks for having me guys see you later pete hey thanks a lot
0: pete do you ever sound like molding i can't get over how much you sound like darren molding
3: thank god i don't uh, look like him yeah <laughs> and i'd say that if darren was on the call actually because he's a beauty yeah,
0: neither one of you is flattered if they said you look alike right?
3: <laughs> exactly we everybody loses <laughs>
0: uh that's funny Well, that's a wrap fellas. Uh well done. Well done. A bunch of shows we have in the bank. We're going to take a few weeks off like we said, but we really really appreciate uh you know the fans of this show with without you of course these things don't grow and uh, and this show's growing uh, beautifully in the right direction and we're happy about that. Uh inside curling, we're reaching out to curling clubs all over the world and inviting you to contact us and ask to set up a Zoom call. We've done several of these. Uh, Kevin and Warren are there to discuss anything you like. They field questions. Uh, it's really, really good and the clubs love it. Uh, keep in mind we're doing this on a limited basis. So let us know early, uh, and we'll set it up with your club. Uh, thanks a lot to everyone involved, including all the guys at Sportsnet. Thank you, Warren and Jonathan Brazzo, uh, who've, who've done the production of this, uh, mixed and sounded by Andrew. Thank you very much and hosted by, of course, Kevin Martin and Warren and myself uh also uh amal who's been the guy we've our go-to guide Sportsnet, and he's a new dad we talked to him yesterday he said how's it going went pretty good (laughs) five or six five or six hours of sleep uh boy i remember those days uh we also want to extend a big thank you to rod paulson and his company in-house strategies for all the great work on facebook and uh in our facebook group so Thanks a lot to everyone. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the month of July. Uh, if you want to keep emailing us, for sure, insidecurling at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, you can check us out there. Warren, what are you doing for the next three, four weeks?
2: Oh, preparing for the fall shows, Jim.
0: <laughs> I knew he'd say that, Kevin. Isn't it embarrassing how
2: hard this guy works? <laughs> I'm working hard to try to get the book I've written out in November. Right on. Good sticks and stones, right? That's it, yes. We'll look forward to that. Kevin,
0: what are you going to do?
1: I hopefully will get to play a little bit of golf in the next month and uh, hang out with uh, the grandkids and, uh, and have a little bit of fun. Lovely. Uh, and stay cool,
0: everybody. You never say that in Edmonton, You always ever heard. Stay warm. <laughs> but uh, we got the heat wave going. Enjoy your uh, July, everyone, and we'll talk to you again in a few weeks. Take it easy, fellas. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim.